0: From the Sea of Holes, it's the IGN Digiguy. Please welcome two guys who don't look bluish. It's Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. That's right, we don't look bluish. Mark. Yes, sir. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman.
1: Tragedy, complete tragedy, and uh, you know, I was—I uh, work in, at, at an entertainment cable company, and people around the halls were talking about how he—he he was in—he was in recovery. Yeah. And he left rehab too soon. Yeah. And uh, you know. It's it's a tragedy. It's it's senseless. And I tell you, you know, they, they found like seventy bags of heroin in the car un- he
0: was in. It's unreal I mean, how much heroin they found.
1: I mean, nobody has fallen off a wagon harder than he did.
0: Uh, it just it's it it rivals Belushi and uh, and all the other corpulent injectors. You know, uh, Chris Farley. I mean, it, it really does rival, that. it's just unbelievable.
1: Well, also, you know, you when you when you when you look at the type of actor he was, yeah, you can see him having the kind of personality who would just want to bury himself in altered states. Because really, he was so good that that's what he would do. Yeah. He really buried himself in the altered state of whatever character he was playing. And you can see how maybe he wanted to do that in his regular life.
0: I just, I get so tired of the the excuse though that, that goes back, you know, centuries. I mean, it goes to Conan Doyle and to Edgar Allan Poe that somehow the artistic impulse is, you know, one that needs to be sometimes medicated and sated through, you know, uh, mind altering substances. And it's just, it, 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 there's no reason why we need to lose these people. You know, he didn't need to be a junkie to be a great
1: actor. And he didn't want to be a junkie, by the no. way. You know, because he was clean. And a great actor. Yeah. It's so just, it's, it's, it's just awful. And it, it's, it's a
0: shame. It's upsetting. But, it uh, is but, upsetting. But here's the
1: thing, though. I mean, do we dare recommend a Philip Seymour Hoffman movie?
0: I, you know, we can recommend movies. Go ahead. We were talking before the show about this. So um, well, by all means, let it fly.
1: Well, obviously, he's done amazing work on screen. And I've seen him on Broadway. And he's unbelievable. But I have to say that the one movie... That I went to YouTube, because I, I don't have the Blu-ray, because the movie as a whole is actually not that good, yeah. but the one movie I thought of when he died that I wanted to see the two key scenes he was in is Charlie Wilson's War, Mike yeah. Nichols' Charlie Wilson's War. Mm-hmm. Now, the movie does not come together as a whole. It has an amazing start, gets off to a great start, and then dies a slow 90-minute death. True. But in the first half hour, he's got two scenes. and Actually, I was with you in the screening room, and you could not... Stop laughing.
0: That's true. He's got
1: two scenes that are absolutely the most hilarious, priceless pieces of acting you will ever see. Mm-hmm. And when he died, I, I don't know why, I was compelled to go to YouTube and look up those uh, two I, scenes.
0: I agree. with I did the same thing. That 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 first scene in Charlie Wilson's War, where he goes on his his tirade about having to learn Finnish, and uh, that's just it's. And then ex- the
1: way the way he the way. Tom Hanks was in his office yeah. And he kept getting interrupted And then Philip Seymour Hoffman he, he knows he's got to leave the room Now you go, okay yeah. You just go, okay And get up and leave And then you come back And you go, got it And <laughs> you get up and leave again
0: No, his, his instincts I mean, I put him among The top ten character actors Of all time I do I mean, right up there With Lon Chaney And Daniel Day-Lewis And uh, Paul Dooley Dustin Hoffman You know And I mean there, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a compendium There's a kind of a pantheon is the better word. There's a pantheon of great character actors, and uh, he's, he's right in there, you know, definitely among the top ten of all time. And uh, it's just a, it's a, you know, Charles Lawton would have been another one. He's and also
1: pretty young to have that accomplish a body of work.
0: He made 50 films in 20 years.
1: Yeah. 50
0: films in 20 years. I mean, it's extraordinary. I, I, I also, you know, when I first noticed him, of course, was Boogie Nights. Boogie Nights is when I think a lot of people were like, that guy has real chops. Because he took a relatively minor character in that movie, and especially in the scene, you know, he's that he's you know he, he's he's a guy who's just kind of very shy and he's gay and he's and he's got this latent attraction to uh, to Mark Wahlberg's character. That scene where he's sitting in the car and he's going stupid, stupid, stupid. and He's pounding his head on the on the uh, on the steering wheel. That's like the, the most jarring moment because, in just a character that is, is thinly sketched in the movie, you suddenly empathize with to an enormous degree, all because of the performance. It's extraordinary. It's just breathtaking. I
1: agree. So, yeah. uh, I would say, and happiness, never happiness. Oh, geez. Oh, oh, God. oh my so gosh, intense. that's
0: so disturbing. <laughs> deeply, deeply disturbing. Yes, it is. Yeah.
1: He was great. And we're, there's a lot of great movies that are going to be made in the future that, without him, yeah. that would have been better with him. But
0: and, uh, you know, waste. The Master was really uh, quite, a, quite a, I mean, obviously it's not the last film that we will see of his. He had a couple of films at Sundance. But, look, you know, Hunger Games, he, was, he, he didn't finish. Uh, they're obviously going to have to do something there to, to make sure that that's uh, adjusted. And, and uh, He's got he, a
1: week left. He's, yeah, he had a week, week left who, but, uh, but he
0: was they were also casting a film that he was going to direct
1: right i know you
0: know, and uh now that's not going to happen i mean it's just it's
1: and i saw the one the one he did direct jacko's boating I saw a screening of that and he was there with a, doing A. q a he's afterwards. got chops he's got and chops he's, he
0: had chops it's i mean it's tried, and it's why I, my my feelings are mixed on this because uh, I, I I find myself very it, really at odds um it's very difficult for me to sympathize with you know the addictive personalities anymore. It really is. I mean, he, he, you know, he was supposed to pick up his kids at school. He left three kids without a father. He left movie fans uh, hanging. He left you know work partners hanging, investors hanging. But that's
1: how strong addiction is. I know addiction but, is that strong you that know, you will leave your kids at school. You know that's how evil it is.
0: Who in this day and age? Actually, knowing what we know, thinks that they're going to stick a needle in their arm and it's going to be just like, well, I think I'll try it. I mean, heroin, once you try it, you're a junkie. That's it. First time, done. Your life is over. There's no turning around. It's not a thing that, well, I'll try it once or twice. No, it it just isn't that kind of a drug.
1: But we don't know, at least I don't know, when he started using and what state of mind he was in when he started using. What crowd he was running with when he started using.
0: I would have thought that the death of Jimi Hendrix would have knocked some sense into an entire, you know, hundred years worth of generations, but apparently not. Apparently not.
1: No, there'll always be criminals. There'll always be uh, you just know a dreadful, junkies. they will always be alcoholics.
0: Dreadful tragedy. Well, you know what? Let's let's uh, let's get burning on the DVD front. Um, a lot of great Philip Seymour Hoffman performances out there, and and you know he a, a relatively minor part in uh, the uh, the Big Lebowski. That's
1: right. You know, I he mean, he was so young
0: there. He was so young in that film, and he just shines. He just shines. You know, you you, you look at that guy, and you go. It's a nothing part, but he's, he's turned it into something special.
1: Actually, no, here's his nothing part he turned into something special. I have three words for you. Along came Polly.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. He's the best thing about that movie. <laughs> that movie. A movie with Ben Stiller and Jennifer Aniston, which is just turgid in every single facet of its being. I mean, it's just not funny. Ben Stiller's not funny. Jennifer Aniston is not funny. He, he, every time he walks on screen, he owns that movie. That's the only reason I've kept that on DVD is for two scenes of his where he comes in in tuxedo and he slips and he does the pratfall and then where he's playing, where they're, where they're playing basketball. I mean, th- that basketball scene, raining, bam, and he can't hit the, he can't, he can't make a decent shot to save his life. That is just brilliant.
1: No, it's, it's, just he's, it's just genius. He was out there.
0: I'm so, I'm just so saddened. I feel so gypped and uh, it's just wrong. Well, anyway, let me, uh, let me roll really quickly through uh, some, uh, a series of titles recently from Megahertz Networks. Oh, we
1: know, of... the, the, the optimal words there being really quickly.
0: Yes. Well, we're going to do this. Megahertz Networks, of course, does, uh, they bring a lot of amazing European television, mostly detective television from uh, non-English language speaking countries. And uh, it's a real discovery. Uh, I, I had no idea there was so much great stuff being done in, uh, in other countries. Uh, this is a cop show from Australian television by the way it's called East West 101 uh, got two sets of it right here uh, seasons 2 and 3 and uh, on, on one set and then uh, season 1 on the other and you know it is uh, it's, it's pretty gritty and it's pretty gnarly and uh, definitely worth watching uh, it's about a guy named Zayn Malik who is a major crime squad detective in Sydney and the whole angle here is that he's uh, Muslim right it, it's more daring than anything that we have done. Post-9-11, a guy in a, in a Western country who's a Muslim and a detective, that's really fascinating stuff. You know? It's the kind of thing I would have hoped that they'd do on television with somebody like Tony Shalhoub, but no, he had to go and be you know, uh, the, 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 the guy with OCD.
1: Actually, there's a, there's a very famous episode of the show, and I, I saw the promo. You know what yeah. it said? Yeah. In order to catch a terrorist, yes. he must yes, become... A terrorist. Yes, yeah, thanks very much. Anyway. Here we go. There's a million of these things. Go, okay, go, Okay,
0: moving. So anyway, East-West 101, really fine show. Uh, we've talked about Borgen before. <laughs>
1: In uh, order to catch a rapist, <laughs> he must become a rapist. Thank you.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Wor- worst running joke on this show. What is That's from a Magnum no, thing, is no, 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 no.
1: Adam Carolla does this hilarious run. Like, should, should, should I do the run or not?
0: Yeah, it, 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 but it's, it's based on a Magnum thing. He was mocking Magnum, wasn't he? I, was that, mock- I, I don't remember that part, It was but it's, it's yeah, so mock- funny right? Corolla. Yeah, well, anyway. Uh, the Danish series Borgen, uh, which we've talked about uh, before, it's a you know intense uh, political thing. It's a, a little bit like uh, House of Cards, uh, although I think probably better than House of Cards, to be honest. Not necessarily better than the British, but I think it's better than the American one. Anyway, uh, the people who did the original The Killing. This is the third season in Borgen. We've talked about that before. Third season, just as good as the previous.
1: To catch a burglar, he oh, must become a rapist. <laughs> uh,
0: and uh, from French television, Dolman. Uh, Dolman is, uh, takes place in Brittany. And um, it is a uh, it, it, uh, Dolman is a bit of a peculiar show. I'm not sure that I'm a huge fan of it. But it's, uh, it remi- it's a little kind of uh, Twin Peaksy. At least it aspires to be a little Twin Peaksy. It's got kind of a strange uh, Celtic mystery angle to it. A little bit supernatural. A little x Filesy. y um, Not exactly my kind of show. I think the French do better when they don't try to stretch so much. But anyway, that's, uh, that's Dolmen. You can go check that out. Uh, if that suits your fancy. We've also got Sebastian Bergman. Uh, Sebastian Bergman is uh, also, a, it's, an, it's an okay show. Uh, Swedish actor Rolf Lasgard is really, really good in it. Uh, he's a veteran actor that you've probably never seen before because all he's ever really done is television. Um, but uh, he also played Wallander in the original Wallander series. Really? If you ever saw that. Uh, I think Wallander is better, but Sebastian Bergman uh, in, uh, in the cursed one, um, you know, worth it for his performance. Uh, the half-brother. Is based on a Norwegian uh, mystery novel, and uh, it's it's a it's a rather expansive uh, family saga, but um, it's 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 a little drawn out. But I would say um, worth watching if you're familiar with the novel, which I was not, so I felt a little bit a uh, little bit off of the. Uh Off kilter with that one. Uh, Real quickly, McGray, the original McGray. This is a uh, fantastic set uh, number nine. Some of the just great, great mystery stuff in McGray. Forget about the the English language McGray. The original French language McGray is just first rate, absolutely great. Um, Six DVDs for uh, set nine, and some of the best uh, French language mystery you will ever see. Um, Let's see, Spiral spirals here. Uh, this is Spiral Season 1 and Spiral Season 2, four discs in each one. Uh, Spiral is a, um, was originally released uh, in France as um, a, a series called, oh boy, I'm not, I'm, I, I'm even going to struggle with my French to pronounce this, Engrenage. There you go. Anyway, uh, it's a Parisian cop thing, uh, a little bit uh, like Law and Order. It's very, very gritty. It's um, been a huge hit all over the world, and uh, I think the acting is just absolutely first-rate. The, the, the writing, not quite so first-rate. Um, the last two things here is uh, Volume 1 of Blood on the Docks. Uh, Blood on the Docks is um, based on these novels by Graham Hurley. You ever heard of Graham Hurley? Uh, that's Mr. and Mrs. Hurley's kid. Exactly. Apparently, I'm supposed to know who Graham Hurley was. Anyway, this takes place um, in, uh, in France in, uh, in La Havre and uh, it's, it reminded me it's very kind of French connection-y uh, so I, 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 got, I got into the mood a little bit didn't watch all the episodes but um, you know it seemed to be uh, decent enough and then the last one here that I want to make uh, mention of is the uh, Detective Montalbano series huge huge series uh, they sent us just a, a ton of episodes and um, it's about 24, 25 episodes worth, and I've been trying to work my way through them. And um, you know what? It's, it, it grows on you. It grows on you a little bit slowly. It kind of gets moving. Uh, it t- takes a while to sort of get accustomed to the characters and the setup and all of that stuff. But um, the, um, the nuances of it as a detective show, not bad. Pretty good. So um, you know, give it. If you get into Detective Montalbano, I'd say give it uh, a little bit of time. Give it like four or five episodes to really kind of let it work on you. It's uh, it's Italian, of course, if you didn't figure that out. And uh, Italian television sometimes isn't doesn't really spark immediately, but it's well acted. Luca Zingaretti plays the uh, the lead. And uh, I guess these are based also on books by a, an author by, by the name of Andrea Camilleri. I tried to find the books. Apparently, they are not translated into English. So, Detective Montalbano, you will have to discover in Italian. And uh, that's it for the, uh, the uh, Megahertz Networks uh, releases in the last couple of months. Uh, definitely go and check out their, uh, their website, which is at uh, shop.mhznetworks.org. Really, really great stuff. They've, uh, they've found an incredible niche to kind of unearth all this great foreign, primarily non-English language, with the exception of, you know, a few things from the UK and, and Australia, but a lot of really great stuff that they've done. So I think it's a, a cool business model, Megahertz Networks. I really like those guys.
1: Wade, you, uh, did, you devoted like half the show to Megahertz yeah, Networks. Yeah, well,
0: you know what? It, it, we didn't, there was a lot of in December that we didn't get to. So, Mark, it is, it is February. It, it is. It is Black History Month. Sure is. Which means that we now are going to be treated to a lot of DVDs about Black history, and a lot of uh, really kind of inane, uh, insufferable DVDs uh, about like you know Black romantic comedies and.
1: See, that's the lame part. Yeah. The lame. The lame part is not the Black History stuff because that's yeah. always fascinating. But uh, the lame stuff is a lot of this African American targeted stuff, which is just. It's actually, you know what, I'm going to go on a limb here. It's kind of insulting. Yeah. There's really no reason why this stuff shouldn't be great, just like anything else would be great. I don't know why. Stuff like she's still not our sister. I mean, I know it's... Jack A and everyone loves Jack A and whatnot, and it's all about the Walker sisters and they're all living, living together in one house but it's just so inane I just not it feels like it, it feels like
0: Tyler Perry opened up a, a hornet's nest that I, he wishes he probably could close off again you know what it, Morris Chestnut used to be the go to guy to star in all of these I know I haven't seen him in a long time like Boys in the Hood right Morris Chestnut was in everything and what? Certain, nothing yeah, and then nothing and they all have these titles like, uh, like, you know you know what she wants, and, oh, he, he ain't all that. And it's just, oh, come <laughs> on, seriously, just don't be so patronizing. Uh, the Divorce is another one of them. Uh, the Divorce isn't terrible, but it's, it's only not terrible because Tatiana Ali is in it, and, and she's very appealing, and Don Lewis is in it, and she's very appealing. Um, but the, the, all of these things seem to be the brainchild of uh, people I've never heard of. This is otherwise known as Don B. Welch's The Divorce. It's like Tyler Perry spawned a whole classic people who think that they can have the possessory title now. I mean, who's Don B. Welch? Do you have any idea?
1: Uh, that's Mr. and Mrs. Welch's case.
0: Exactly. All right. Well, anyway.
1: Now, this one is called Home Again, and this, this actually wasn't that bad because it's got a twist. Oh. It's a drama, okay. but it's about, it's about these, um, these, there's a, this trio of strangers, and they all get deported back to uh, their native Jamaica. Oh, of course. And so they have to kind of survive on the streets of Jamaica. And they're, you know, one's from Toronto and a couple from America. And there's a British team. And so it's kind of interesting how they're sort of going back to their roots in Jamaica and how they try to survive on those mean streets. So there's definitely something in Home Again. I don't know that's all that great. It's definitely like a little too like exciting for its own good, like less character, like maybe more character, less exciting would have been a little bit more Mm. resonant. But still, uh, if you got to rent one of these movies that aren't very good, Home Again would be a, a, a one to consider.
0: Well, there are a couple here that are... A l- one is a little better than average. The, uh, the last letter uh, is, is okay. Uh, it's not terrible. Again, Tatiana Ali shows up in this. She's in all of them. But, uh, you know, some otherwise really good actors in this. Omari Hardwick's a good actor. Richard T. Jones, good actor. Lynn Whitfield, of course, is an, is an outstanding actor. Uh, so they kind of put the film on their backs and, and carry it along. It is otherwise a, uh, a kind of mediocre psychological thriller... Uh, about a couple who you know have a who, whose marriage isn't you know quite as stable as it could be, and Whit- Whit- Whitfield is a little bit psycho, as like a Norman Bates mom kind of character. Uh, but uh, y- you know, not that well written, but again, decently acted. And uh, if you can kind of put the uh, you know let, deal with the acting and just focus on that, uh, then also there's a couple of plays that were originally shown on the Up Network, which I guess stands for uplifting.
1: Yes, is it that does. Correct?
0: Yes. And there's a couple of those uh, that are on a double feature and uh, they are you know, filmed stage plays they're not like staged stage plays but anyway um, one is to love and to cherish the other is in sickness and in health and uh, you know, these are about the travails of being a, a black yuppie in relationships and career a bluppy and, and you know it's alright
1: uh, um, two documentaries that are actually uh, well worth it forget all these uh, scripted stuff We have a Pride and Perseverance, the story of the Negro Leagues. The story of the Negro Leagues never stops being fascinating. It's a great story, and uh, these guys get into it with uh, all the story of the players from the Greys and the Monarchs and all those great old characters um, like Satchel Paige. And they run through all of them. And some of the stuff you might have seen in um, Ken Burns' baseball documentary. But still, if you don't want to watch all that... You can definitely check out Pride and Perseverance, narrated by Dave Winfield, uh, formerly of the Yankees and the uh, Padres. So uh, there you go. Really good stuff done by Major League Baseball. So they have a wealth of archival material that nobody else has in order to get this thing looking great. So Pride and Perseverance, definitely good stuff. And then from the History Channel, we have, not definitive, but still kind of interesting, African-American leaders past and present. This is a look at um, uh, the life and career of uh, Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X, Thurgood Marshall, and Barack Obama. So uh, it's pretty good. Again, more comprehensive, more comprehensive stuff is out there, but these are feature-length films, feature-length documentaries. It's over like you know four hours of stuff, uh, all about Frederick Douglass, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Thurgood Marshall, and uh, President Obama. So uh, there you go. Check all those right. two out. Those, those are good
0: i uh, got a couple here that I can uh, one I can sort of recommend Danny Glover in From Above Danny Glover's just you know become kind of a, a joke over the years he's, he's sort of really lost his um, his luster but you know this one's this one's not bad it's uh, it's kind of uh, it's kind of schmaltzy who's the guy that wrote uh, that writes all the schmaltzy romance things oh uh, Nicholas Sparks Nicholas Sparks it's very Nicholas Sparksy. Um, but still, you know, Danny Glover is fine, and uh, it's it's a kind of a black and Native American uh, romance thing, and yeah, you know, some, some decent supporting actors, and then Danny Glover comes on to kind of show everybody how it's done. Uh, Tantu Cardinal is is uh, you know she's okay. She never became that that thing that everybody expected her to. You know, Tantu Cardinal was supposed to be sort of this new. You know, she was like 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 all the rage for a moment. Everybody thought she was going to be this hot young actress, and she's kind of become a straight to video actress. But anyway, and then there's also this thing called Mister and Pete. Uh, as long as we're on cross cultural stories, a uh, little black kid, a little Korean kid, and uh, both from the projects. And uh, Jennifer Hudson plays the little black kid's mom. She's a junkie and she's a she's a mess. And you know, it's about how they have to survive without getting picked up by the um, the social services. They gotta be on their own, these two little kids. Lean on each other. Um, it's terribly stereotypical. Um, the actual full title of the film is The Inevitable Defeat of Mr. and Pete, but you're, you're gonna find it everywhere is just Mr. and Pete. And that's even the way that they do the title on the box, because they realize that The Inevitable Defeat of is just one of those big mouthfuls of a title. So if you can't find, if, you, if you're looking for this alphabetically anywhere, you will not find it in the I section. You'll find it in the M section. Jennifer Hudson's very, very good. What really bugs me about this, Anthony Mackie. Isn't he going to be like an Avenger now, didn't Anthony Yeah, Mackie he get...
1: plays Black Falcon, I there think. There you
0: go. That's it. Anthony Mackie. Long overdue. Great actor. Terrific actor. He plays like the, king, the kingpin, uh, drugpin, drug kingpin guy. <laughs> the in... drug pin? The drug pin. What? He plays the drug pin. Uh, in, the, uh, in the projects in the film and he's very menacing but I don't know how he got away with this he basically put, uses James Harden's look James Harden the NBA player outstanding player remember he used to be with Oklahoma City now he's with Houston uh, James Harden yeah. big old beard big old beard right he's oh got, yeah he's got that, look, that guy I know
1: Mohawk he has a beard
0: and, and like a big old kind of Osama Bin Laden beard right well did, like Anthony Mackie has the the mohawk and the beard. Does he not realize that James Harden is like like has about 80 pounds on him and will just beat him to a pulp for you know like making fun of him in this movie?
1: Give I don't think he really cares that much. He probably doesn't. Uh lastly, right? Wait on the uh yes. uh yes. Black History Month. We have actually this is the best of the lot. This is uh, from PBS The African Americans Many Rivers to Cross.
0: It's really good. Really good. Really this really is
1: good. uh great stuff. This is like it's like, this seems like four hours. And it charts like five centuries of African American yeah. history, starting yeah. with the uh, slave trade in Africa, all the way up to the amazing, uh, the amazing guy, like having like a black president. Yeah. Like, who would have thought that 500 years True. ago, they're you know, just and illiterate th- slaves being carted from Africa, just with the greatest indignity in the history of mankind, next to the Holocaust. And yet now, in 2014, black president.
0: And you know i 've often pointed this out to people anyone who lives overseas in other countries that, you know it 's interesting to me, having lived in france that that uh, so many people overseas, even you know whatever i mean is, certainly the Germans were more excited about Obama initially than they are now a lot of these guys but what 's interesting to me is how the, how the, his election was celebrated by a lot of European countries who to this day would not elect anyone who wasn 't white i mean y- can you imagine a Turk being elected as the uh, as the uh, the prime minister of, of Germany or an Arab or an Algerian being elected as the, the president of France wouldn't happen, you know, a Pakistani being elected as the president as the uh, the prime minister of England wouldn't happen. Well, well don't
1: forget too, is that the Just world not happen. But the world still looks at America as being the big dog. Exactly. And the big dog does it somehow. It validates yeah. the idea. Maybe True. it'll trickle down. True. So um, I would highly recommend, as would Wade, the African Americans many rivers to cross. Absolutely. Yay! I
0: highly, highly recommend it. Yay! And then, uh, you know what, Mark? Uh, We should talk for a moment about Blue Jasmine. Uh, because uh, Kate Blanchett is looking like she is the odds-on favorite to win Best Actress. Unless... Unless this whole nonsense really kind of blows up again. And, and I hate to even touch on this, but we really have to if we're going to talk about the film. If You, you have followed the news. If you, unless you've been living in a, cage in a cave in Argentina, you realize that the 20-year-old allegations of sexual abuse by Woody Allen against his, his adopted daughter, uh, Dylan Farrow, ha, have uh, resurfaced. And this all resurfaced when they had the tribute, the career tribute at the Golden Globes. And uh, Ronan Farrow, formerly Satchel, uh, his adopted son, or well, his natural son, we thought, until Mia Farrow started claiming that, you know, Frank Frank Sinatra Sinatra, uh, fathered him. That'd be awesome. Um, He and Mia Farrow started tweeting all this negative stuff. And then next thing you know, the allegations are all over and open again. And then the guy who made the, uh, Robert Weedy who made the documentary about yes. Woody Allen for PBS. He wrote a thing for the Daily Beast saying, look, I gotta, Woody's not defending himself. I've got to straighten this out. Big old long elaboration about the lie detector tests and the expert witnesses, and they found him not guilty, and Mia had probably coached her, et cetera, et cetera. And then uh, just a day or two ago, Dylan comes forth with an open letter through... Um,
1: well, it was it was the New York Times.
0: In the New York Times. But yes. to, to a columnist in the New York Times. Yeah, it wasn't Seymour Hersh. It was... Uh, the other he, guy. He's a New Yorker. It's the other so Basically detailing all elaborately what happened. With the, she gave her a train set and sexually molested her. And oh my gosh, now we're just we're airing this stuff in public all over again 20 years after the fact. And the thing is, she called out everyone who had collaborated with Woody Allen for not condemning him, including Kate Blanchett, who was, you know, uh, approached at uh, a recent awards show. And she just said, look, I, I, it's a tragedy. I hope everybody can move beyond it. And at a certain point, I, my feeling is, you know what, it, it, this, is, this was buried by the officials 20 years ago. Okay? It was, you know, done, over. And if there's anything left to be done, take care of it in private, people. It's a horrible tragedy, but I don't need to be made a party to this.
1: Well, there are you know? you know, still people who don't forgive Roman Polanski, True. and there are people who don't forgive Woody but, Allen.
0: But the other thing about Woody Allen, you know, Roman Polanski was guilty. Woody was never found guilty, and he denies it to this day. And I believe, as we're speaking, he was going to be issuing an actual response to this finally. Uh, which He, he, has he issued
1: something, Leslie Dart, his publicist, issued something brief yesterday. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, he is going to come out with a, come a more elaborate
0: statement yeah. himself. The the thing is, look, Blue Jasmine is a movie that stands on its own. I don't care, you know. Roman Polanski made a brilliant film in The Pianist. Did he? Did he? Whatever his past is, it's irrelevant to me. Uh, You know, I like the movie Powder, even though uh, what's his face who directed it? That's
1: right, he was uh, you know, was a convicted
0: child molester. I'm sorry, I can judge the person and their work individually, and it's really unfair to drag Kay Blanchett into this. That being said. I think Blue Jasmine is one of Woody's most interesting and compelling films in years because it's the first film where that Upper East Side set that he usually makes the, the benign subject of a lot of sort of uh, joking and mockery, in the wake of the, coll- of the financial collapse, he now seems to look at them very differently. And it's a much more acerbic eye, and this film has a lot more edge to it and I was really surprised at just how edgy it really was.
1: I agree. He lives in a bubble that I thought he would never escape. It, yeah. it, it wasn't only an Upper East side bubble, it was this time bubble where, like, yeah. he would do films literally as recently yep. as like three years ago yeah. where people wouldn't, would like try to find dates in the personal ads yeah. in the newspaper. In, like, 2010, he's making... Like, he's never heard of, like, J-Date. I know. Or the internet. I yeah. mean, he's so in his not only financial bubble, but his time bubble. Yeah. But now he's finally with Blue Jasmine. He's escaped that, and he's got a lot to say about it. And he's angry over it. Yeah. And I like that. It kind of it, it got him too. a little bit out of his... You felt like he had... You felt like he was motivated by something. He was driven to write this story. Two interesting points.
0: Uh, the Academy Award nominees in the acting categories. Every single nominee in all the male categories... Uh, Is in a film that's also nominated for Best Picture. All the nominees in the female categories are also Best Picture nominees except for four. There are two from uh, August Osage County, you know, Julia Roberts and Meryl Streep, who both can get nominated just for, you know, staring at a camera, turn the, you know, take the lens cap off, even leave it on, they'll get nominated. And uh, Blue Jasmine has the other two, which is uh, um, Kate Blanchett and uh, Sally Hawkins. And I'm so happy for Sally Hawkins. I know it is not surprise. surprise. You know, and they need it. They play sisters, right? And it's it's great. And you know, considering that one is English and one is Australian, and they nail a certain American archetype. Alec Baldwin, how good is he in this? It's just that sleaze ball.
1: Yeah, he, he, that wasn't my favorite role of his. He's fine. That I mean, would have that's a that's role.
0: a part that would have been played, you know, 30 years ago by uh, what's his name? The guy from Annie Hall. Oh, um, uh,
1: Tony Roberts. Tony Roberts, right? That's right. True. Right. right, fu- right? Fu- it? Bluh. Bluh. So, I'm uh, I hope Kate wins best actress I A because she deserves it, B because it would mean that the whole Woody Allen, Dylan Farrow thing didn't really sway the vote. Yeah. And also because we have to kind of give Kate an actual award because when she won for The Aviator, yeah. it was like, come on.
0: I know. I know. It's true. It was, it was an impression of, of yeah, it's true. It's almost, it, that was almost like Kate Hepburn's fifth Oscar. I
1: know, I know. But you know what it is? It's almost like they gave her that because, A, because she's like, it's, it's some tie to old Hollywood. Yeah. But also that was the Academy's way of saying, you, you, you're in the club now. We yeah. like you.
0: Yeah. Catherine Hepburn not only won four Oscars of her own, but she inspired an Oscar for somebody who played her.
1: I know, it's terrible. Yeah, it's she won four and a half Oscars. Uh, Dallas Buyers Club is on Blu-ray. This is a Blu-ray, a DVD, and digital uh, ultraviolet copy. Uh, Matthew McConaughey who's also up for an Oscar this movie's terrific and um, I think the reason why it's funny because I think the reason why this movie is resonating is because the character's not likable the guy's a total homophobe they don't they don't sugarcoat that. No. He's a rough guy. He doesn't like gays. The end.
0: And if if there, you know, I, I once thought that uh, Bruce Dern had the edge on uh, winning Best Actor. But I got to tell you, there, there does seem to be a surge for Matthew McConaughey.
1: Unless it's a 12 years slave uh, run.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't see Chiwetel winning that. I, it doesn't feel like like they're going to give it to him. It, they might
1: it, give it to Matthew to say, we're glad you're back.
0: And we're we're, we're amazed that, that you know after all those horrible romantic comedies you you like you're losing weight you're losing your muscle mass you put your the one thing that you were so proud of that you were always flaunting on screen that amazingly chiseled body you sacrificed it for a role. I there is something that. to be said for that yeah
1: but they love that stuff you know, know whatever like know. De Niro gained 60 yeah, pounds or whatever yeah. thank God thank God Christian Bale did not get nominated for The Machinist he, see, for The Machinist yeah. he lost weight But for he, American Hustle he gained weight but see he
0: and Matthew McConaughey I still say they both should have been nominated for Reign of Fire
1: I, you, know, you and I are the only ones who love that movie no Tim loves it really
0: yeah oh yeah I love T- that Tim movie. and I saw that together we just sat there we were just like that movie rocks it's dudes slaying <laughs> dragons man Rock
1: on. All right, so uh, we have that. So that's recommended. Uh, Fast and Furious 6. You know what's funny about these <sighs> movies is that, is that even though they're Another terrible... Another unnecessary death. I know. Well, Paul Walker, that's a whole other situation. But, um, you know, I, I have to say, surprisingly, even though I don't like these movies, they do sort of know what they are. Yeah. They, they don't really take themselves that seriously. They, they kind of understand that they're a little bit stupid. And you can always really respect a franchise like this that knows its place... And can wink at its place. So, you know, I mean, yeah, Fast and Furious 6. Uh, this is an extended edition, which just means more uh, swearing and more driving. And it's uh, a Blu-ray, DVD, and uh, digital uh, HD, HD uh, ultraviolet copy. It's a great-looking um, transfer, I'll tell you that much. And yep. there's a bunch of Blu-ray exclusives uh, on here, as well as regular uh, features that you'll, additional features that you'll see on the regular DVD. Um, deleted scenes and a making of and whatnot. So... Fast and Furious 6, uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't watch it again, but uh, why not?
0: About Time is a film that unfortunately got no traction and uh, I think it's too bad is it Richard Curtis's best film not by a long it's shot. It's has got a
1: weird premise that it, just seems so he, pulled out of his butt.
0: It does kind of. I mean Richard, the whole idea of a family where the men can travel back in time and this guy, you know, in order to get his relationship right, he keeps, you know, going back and back in time and doing the thing right over. It's a little gimmicky. Um, Richard Curtis isn't a guy who really should be dabbling in genre frankly. Uh, It's not his strong suit. I wish he'd sort of stick with the uh, the love actuallys and the you know the four weddings and the funerals. But that being said I found it totally charming. I mean it it, the the acting is lovely and there's wonderful dialogue and it's just it just has a sweetness to it and uh, I don't care if it doesn't really work I I just thought it was it was fine. Deleted scenes, bloopers, some featurettes on here, uh, music video. It's perfectly it's perfectly enjoyable. The Blu-ray has some exclusives uh, you know, a little thing all about uh, uh, time travel and, uh, you know, some of the locations of the films and, you know, a little background of Richard Curtis and I thought it was just all... I, I enjoyed it. It's at it's least worth a rental. Really? Absolutely. And then Mother of George is a movie that was, for a moment, on a lot of people's minds for awards. Uh, this is from Oscilloscope. I gotta say, I'm, I'm not really on board with this movie. Um, it's directed by Andrew Dosunmu, who's an African immigrant, uh, who is a, a talented filmmaker. But his movies are almost too beautiful. They they just have this. There's a sheen to the photography where I'm very aware of his lens selections all the time. It just it's like well that's an interesting lens and that's an interesting composition. He, he tries a little too hard to make it just really picturesque and a little dreamlike. Um, but uh, essentially, what's going on here is a you know Nigerian couple living in Brooklyn and uh, the whole the film starts with their you know very very Nigerian wedding ceremony and um, it's it is essentially about the cultural pressures that ensue when the woman wants to have a, she wants to conceive a child because you know part of the culture is now you're married you've got to have a kid but she can't seem to conceive so it gets into all this weird stuff like you know the mother-in-law is urging her to have an affair with the brother-in-law to you know conceive because it'll be the same genes and it gets very creepy uh, from a cultural standpoint, interesting film. Lead performance is just absolutely breathtaking. Um, the actress, whose name I wouldn't even try to pronounce, but it's like Denai Guerrera. That's probably the best I'm going to do. She is magnificent. And Isaac de Bancole, who we've seen in a lot of other things, uh, namely French films, as her husband, just wonderful. So great acting, questionable direction, but nonetheless the director is apparently on to bigger and better things. Andrew de Sunmu has been... Um, he's locked down a couple of big projects a couple of big historical projects so you know maybe people are seeing something that I'm not
1: well because you're lame I uh, guess so The Unspeakable Act by Dan Salat is uh, a film that could have gone bad a million different ways but wound up being kind of interesting it's about the 17 year old girl who is in love with her older brother and went, like in love with her older brother I, I love
0: the I love incest stories I really do I love them they're just they're so touching
1: incest is best Um, so but when the brother goes to college the girl has to you know find actual real boys to meet and uh, you know she kind of starts to come into her own so I think this film again could have gone bad a hundred different ways but it was pretty it was was well done takes the subject seriously it's really all about family and having to kind of break away from your family when you become your own person but still keep your ties to family And so uh, I liked it. It was original and interesting. I I think it was an interesting little rental if you want some daring kind of indie film uh, action. Unspeakable act. Next, we have a film I didn't like as much called Molly's Theory of Relativity. This is uh, about this woman who's an astronomer, and she loses her job, and then she doesn't know what to do with her life, and on Halloween night, she's visited by a bunch of dead relatives. It's sort of like It's a Wonderful Life for an astronomer. Yeah. And it's just very... It's a little... I mean it's pretty it's not dark it's more darkly it's more of a dark comedy than it is dark but it's a little too whimsical for it's own good it's a little too weird for me it wasn't really my thing Um, finally uh, at least on my pile I have Last Love with the great Michael Caine and uh, way to Clemence Posey
0: Cl- Clémence Posy.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh Michael Caine uh, uh, Who can do no wrong Plays a uh, professor he, really a can, he
0: can do no wrong he's It's the true best. Even you know, in Jaws like,
1: 3D He is my favorite He's like one of my favorite Actors of all time uh, I love love How can you not love Michael Kane? He's amazing Of course Michael Caine yeah. Damn it Anyway <laughs> he plays A widowed uh, per, uh, professor He's living in Paris And he figures He would just run out The clock by himself In Paris But he meets this uh, Young lady and they sort of uh, she's a dance instructor played by Clementine, and uh, they decide that they're going to form a little family together so it's, it's kind of cute it's kind of sweet very bittersweet kind of liked it interesting it's always, Michael Caine's always watchable it also features Gillian Anderson and Gillian Anderson from the X-Files has crafted this whole second phase of her career doing films overseas yep which is just bizarre but yeah, she's like. in that too it's not bad
0: all right, finishing off the uh, newish releases, I Am Zozo is a Ouija board horror film. Fill in the blanks. It's, like, it's either a haunted house uh, or teenagers on, a, on an outing or a Ouija board horror film. Just, you, you know what's going to happen. Well, the original
1: Ouija board horror film was produced by uh, the husband of a friend of mine. It was called Witchboard. Yeah. which Witchboard witch, 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 was like in the 80s. Shh. <laughs>
0: We're gonna, we're, really? We have Witchboard on Blu-ray today. Really? <laughs> yes, we do. Believe it or not. Anyway, uh, I am Zozo. It's another one of those. You know, it's like, hey, let's let's play with the Ouija board. Uh oh, who's Zozo? And Zozo presents himself in Jumanji. Um, is it Jumanji? Um, you know what? Uh, Step dogs is one of those silly Stupid movies. Stupid dogs. It should. This should have been one of those Disney movies. The the you know the. The, the Air Bud, Buddies, This Buddies, Snow Buddies. It should have been one of those movies. Basically, they, somebody said, hey, let's make a movie with dogs that's kind of like um, the Brady Bunch with dogs. Like two people who get married and then the dogs are part of the same family. And then we'll make them be like the odd couple dogs because they hate each other. And then some burglars will break into the house and then they get to be the Home Alone dogs. That's exactly what this is. Is it, is it funny? I guess if you're four... If you want to set your four-year-old down in front of the TV, stupid and, dogs. But otherwise, whatever.
1: Dogs are stupid.
0: Boy band is about a, um, a bunch of guys who uh, are are not really boy band types, but they. Uh, one of them's a jock. One of them's you know a former figure skater. The other one's a stoner and uh, by golly, they are going to show you that they can actually be a boy band and so they form a, uh, the most embarrassing boy band you've ever seen but it's supposed to be heartwarming I guess if I were a 16 year old girl maybe I'd find it heartwarming
1: that'd be more crotchwarming
0: and then um, lastly this just makes me so sad I, 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 it just it's so troubling Jeremy Irons is in Night Train to Lisbon uh, which did not get a theatrical release. This is from Lionsgate, and uh, it's basically about a, uh, a Swiss professor played by Jeremy Irons, um, who uh, goes to Lisbon to um, you know meet. A, he's met a woman, and um, it all takes place. It's, it tries to set itself against a historical backdrop of you know some Portuguese history, and. I, it, it means to be this kind of grandiose historical melodrama and uh, unfortunately it just doesn't it doesn't work and it's, uh, it's another failed English language attempt by Billy August who is one of my favorite directors in the world when he's working in Scandinavian languages but when Billy August does stuff like Pernilla Sense of Snow uh, or, uh, or the, um, the, uh, the, the, the South American thing what was the uh, House of the Spirits right oh my gosh why can't he make English language films work don't
1: know but the good news is that Jeremy Irons just landed himself a big role
0: Yes, he did. Yes, he yes, did. He, did. He, is, he is the new Alfred. Yeah.
1: That's not, not bad.
0: I i guess. I'm not sure I... uh it can't
1: be Michael Caine. I'm not
0: sure I, I like that.
1: Definitely. Really? I'm not sure I like that. There, because there, there are many actors who
0: he's too He's too patrician to be Alfred. You but know?
1: No, but that's good. Because he's supposed to be... Uh, you I know. guess. <gasps> Wade, you're giving me this, aren't you? No, I'm not. You're giving me that, aren't you? No. I don't like no, you anymore. No, I'm not. <laughs> Wade, uh, we got two must buys from uh, Criterion. Yes, we do. As they, start, uh, as they start transferring all their DVDs to Blu ray. Yes. Uh, Jules Dassin's Rafifi. Oh,
0: gosh, best opening of any movie ever.
1: It's not just the best opening, it's got a just classic um, mid film heist scene. It's pretty much... so fantastic. I mean, what would you say? 30, 30 minutes or something?
0: Oh, it's, like, it's like 20 minutes. It's like 20 minutes, like 20 no minutes. dialogue. It's just, it's just a breathtaking.
1: It's, 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 it's a 20-minute sequence where these guys break into a... Uh, break in, it's like a Jewel heist. And the actual heist is 20 minutes, no dialogue. And it is absolutely riveting. It's great. It's like the ultimate heist movie. I think it's great. This is... Uh, I love Jules Dassin. He's a terrific director. He's a lot of good stuff. This is probably his crowning achievement for me. Um... So, although I do love Naked City. But anyway, uh, Rafifi is a must-buy. It's, um, it's from 1955. Uh, Criterion, they did a pretty good job on the, um, on the extras, extras, although they, they have done better jobs in the past. Here we only have an uh, interview with Jules Dassin from uh, 2000 and uh, some set design drawings. So they, they, they've done better when it comes to extras, but you know what? It looks really good. I don't know what print they use, but they cleaned it up really nice. And the best part is that the movie's great. So Rafifi from 1955, Jules Dassin, a must-buy um, or will personally come through your internet cable and strangle you.
0: The, uh, the other criterion is Jules and Jim, the, uh, the Francois Truffaut classic, of course, Jules and Jim, the, the kind of the original menage a trois movie or the two guys and a girl movie. Uh, you know what, Jules and Jim is just magnificent. 1962, beautiful black and white, uh, loaded with extras that will just make your head spin. Uh, including a, um, uh, bits from Truffaut's first ever appearance on American television in 1977 with an uh, interview with the uh, New York Film Festival director Richard Roode, and excerpts from uh, t- a seminar he gave at the American Film, uh, Film, Market, uh, Film Institute in 1979. Uh, it's, just, it's just extraordinary. Uh, everything you ever wanted to know about Truffaut is on here, along with, of course, the dual-format Blu-ray and DVD of the movie, two DVDs and one Blu-ray. Uh, it's just great If you, you know, take whatever Jules and Jim version you have and there have been a few going all the way back to Wellspring when they came out with one and just get rid of them, this is all you should have you can watch it in the car, you can watch it all day long and you should, it is magnificent and then uh, wrapping out the foreign language stuff real quickly uh, the uh, two chapters from the uh, Paradise series by Ulrich Seidel which I'm not a huge fan of our friend Tim is a, is a big fan of this, uh, this trilogy, Paradise Hope and Paradise Faith um, You know, it's uh, Seidel meant to sort of make movies about real women and real people and, uh, you know, the, the idea of sort of being set upon in life. And I guess it's not like Kieslowski's Three Colors Trilogy. It's not nearly that well worked out. But there's you know, some decent drama and some interesting filmmaking in both of these. So they're from Strand. I, again, I can't fully recommend them because I don't think Seidel is that interesting of a filmmaker. But some people really love the series. And then lastly, a film that I just think is just staggeringly stupid... And I, I just don't know where this came from. Moon Man. Have you ever heard of the book Moon Man? Apparently it's a kid's book that a lot of people love. I have not been a kid for many years. Oh before. my gosh. It's just, this is a French film that's in English. Um, and it's just the stupidest animated movie I think I've ever seen in my entire life. This little white guy who, and I mean white, not Caucasian. I mean he's a little white man, all white, who lives in the moon. And he comes down to Earth and he's you know a little fish out of water, and it's really rough animation. And he is he's he the the, the dictator of the earth. What needs to find him because he needs to add the moon to his conquests. And, of course, there are people who are helping the moon man out, you know, so that the dictator doesn't win. And the most annoying part of this is that the moon man, the way he talks, moon man, his voice is the most annoying thing in the world. Whoever did his voice, I really want to strangle them. It's just so irritating. Really,
1: the guy who did the voice... Was only doing the director's bidding. So irritating. So you should be killing the director.
0: So irritating. I can't even tell you. I can't. I don't even know where to begin on how irritating it is. Um, uh, talk about some uh, previous releases, uh, real quickly. Uh, Twixt came out last year, and we finally got a hold of this, and this is well worth talking about because this was. Uh, not released in theaters and then it was um, completely ignored in in home release and almost no one realizes that Francis Ford Coppola made another movie. One of the greatest filmmakers of all time, greatest American filmmaker certainly of the last 50 years and uh, he made a movie based on a dream of his and it uh, went nowhere. And it is a little obscure... It only has a, uh, a documentary by his, uh, one, his other daughter on this, uh, Gia Coppola. Or, uh, there is G, no, Gia's um, is is his granddaughter, right? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, he's his granddaughter. So she made a documentary uh, about the film, which is on here. Uh, and I think she has a feature coming. Didn't she just cast a feature? Yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, thank you. Whatever. Anyway, uh, <laughs> no, this is, this, is, this is basically a horror film uh, starring Val Kilmer, of all people, who's surprisingly good. But it is, um, it's all, you know, Val Kilmer is investigating a murder and he's, you know, he's a writer and he's, you know, kind of trying to put together source material for his novel. And uh, from there, it just becomes this really, really chilling uh, panoply of of images and ideas and twists and turns. And it doesn't really work as a narrative, but as a mood piece. It's really extraordinary and presumably based on on a dream. Um, uh, Al Fanning is terrific in it Bruce Dern not as good as he is in Nebraska but certainly very good and I gotta say as an an addition to the uh, the body of work by Francis Ford Coppola it is absolutely worth uh, checking out I I thought it was a, a fascinating film impossible to market on any level uh, so I understand the reluctance, but still, it's a Francis Coppola movie. You really should be able to market it as just Francis Coppola, the director of the frickin' Godfather and Apocalypse Now, and Peggy Sue Got Married in the Cotton Club has a new movie. Maybe you ought to go see it.
1: But this is part of Coppola's like late career thing, where he just yeah. wants to do these little movies, a little walk to interesting shoot, and that's, that's it. it. Yeah, we said that's it at the same time. Yeah, uh, a movie I did not like is a Barbarian Sound Studio. This is a weird combination with a like- terrible
0: commentary on it, by the way.
1: By Wade Major? No. Uh, this is a weird combination of, like, De Palma's Blowout and Cronenberg, where Toby Jones, who I like, and whose career... Speaking of, like, character actors, you know, Toby I mean, Jones, who, who, played, also, who played also played Capote. Capote yeah. Um, Toby Jones plays this uh, sound engineer, and he goes to work on this uh, this, you know, this horror film, and he winds up getting so transfixed by the movie that he loses his grasp on reality, and it's just... It's just a little. It's, 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 I mean, it's not a hammer thing. I, I wouldn't call this like a hammer psychological thriller, would you? A hammer type thing? Yeah, I wouldn't yeah, so call much. it that. But uh, it just doesn't, it's not that scary. It's a little bit silly. And um, I was not a big fan of this movie. So, uh, but if you like that stuff, go for it. Barbarian Sound Studio. Yeah. Uh, oh, 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 you're not going to give me that, are you? No. What? No. I don't like you.
0: I know. Another criterion. Starring a man who I saw in an absolutely terrible movie last night, which I can't talk about it because it's getting released in, uh, theatrically on Friday, and I have to talk about it, unfortunately. James Caan now makes crap movies. But uh, he once upon a time made movies like Thief, and so did Michael Mann. And this is a dual-format criterion release of the original Thief, which is just sensational, from 1981. This is the movie that basically launched Michael Mann uh, as a guy to be reckoned with. you know, And then he went on to really do a handful of movies that, that didn't quite measure up. But he made some good movies afterwards. You know, there's some stuff in there like The uh, Last of the Mohicans. And, uh, oh, The
1: Insider? Are you kidding me?
0: Yeah, The, oh, the Insider. Is the best film he ever made. But Thief really launched everything. Uh, and it is a fascinating film. One of the best performances you'll see from James Caan. And uh, really, really well put together. Audio commentary with, Ma- with uh, Michael Mann and James Caan. Um, uh, interviews with both of them As well as Johannes Schmeling uh, From Tangerine Dream Who of course Did the amazing music That was just That was when they were Doing everything From you know Risky Business To the The score for a Legend That replaced the Jerry Goldsmith score Mistake But still um, Really really a good set uh, DVD and Blu-ray And um, you gotta add that one Because Thief is one of the Great films of the 80's and then we also have a couple of exploitation films from Scream Factory, which is the Shout Factory uh, uh, genre label. Uh, both of these are relics of the 80s when you actually had Scream Queens. And one of them, Mark hinted at earlier.
1: And the other one has the same producer, it's the same company. Yes. Same, same uh, if you look at the uh, credit bed, you'll see Jeffrey Joe Frey is the producer of both.
0: Correct. And the same director of both, Kevin S. Tenney. And uh, the you know board we mentioned earlier That's the original Ouija board movie uh, Really pretty terrible but, but kind of funny by present standards And uh, the other one is Night of the Demons Which I all for some reason I just thought it was kind of scary at the time And watching it again I thought What was wrong with me It was 1988 I was an adult i serious Why did I find this scary And I guess it was just bad makeup You were stoned but, No not even close but bad makeup just really always creeped me out. And part of it was because, uh, you know, a friend of mine that I used to work at the theater with went into effects makeup. You know, he like he sculpted the gills that Kevin Costner wears in, uh, in Waterworld. And so I used to go over to their place and they'd have just like prosthetic crap lying around like a dismembered hand with blood and gore hanging out. it would just be lying on the floor because they'd be, you know, he and his roommates would be practicing all this crap that they'd be doing for these low-budget films. So I, I, I guess I developed a phobia against all this stuff. But anyway... Uh, So Night of the Demons and Witchboard are both out there from uh, Scream Factory on Blu-ray. And if you are kind of a nostalgia junkie, I guess you'll enjoy them.
1: From the uh, ridiculous to the the sublime, we have Angel Share from the great Ken Loach. Ken Loach, of course, the great chronicler of... uh, of, He's like the... um, He he takes like the Guy Ritchie aesthetic and makes it like real drama yes you know like serious movie stuffs going on with Ken Loach
0: he's a nice guy too I've interviewed him you wouldn't expect him to be that guy. He's very—he's
1: very ve- he like a gentle kind of He's guy.
0: Very soft-spoken, very yeah. self-deprecating, and you know, he, even though his films are very political, he doesn't really like to talk about politics. No, it's interesting. You'd expect him to be all kind of Oliver Stone. Oh, those
1: damn
0: but he doesn't. He's, he just doesn't go there. He lets the films kind of speak loudly while he he speaks softly. It's it's kind of refreshing.
1: And this is great. The Angel Share is—it's—it's uh, it's a little bit comedic, but it's also a drama. It's about this guy who forms kind of a group with these other miscreants who go coming in and out of jail, and it turns out that this guy has this amazing talent for whiskey tasting. Yep. So they try to steal this cask of very valuable whiskey, and it's fun. I mean, it's a little, it's it's a little, it's a little bit. Uh, he's definitely in a prickly move. Like he's definitely like in. The, he's having a little bit of fun. You know, Ken Loach is not a fun director. No. But he's having a little bit of fun here, and it's kind of nice to see. And I think Angel Share is just terrific. I just think Ken Loach is a great director. Uh, this might be a minor film in his canon, but uh, if you want to see his last film, The Wind That Shakes the Barley, uh, that one is very I intense. Love,
0: I love Wind That Shakes the Barley. I really do. That's just a that's his masterpiece as far as I'm concerned. Uh, before we get into television, uh, just a few more here. Sightseers, movie by Ben Wheatley, which was released earlier last year, um, Speaking of British filmmakers, Sightseer Ben Wheatley is a very odd, odd guy. Uh, his movies are very dark comedies, and I, I still don't know how I feel about this movie because it's basically about this couple who um, they're just out, you know, on, on a drive in their little uh, their little kind of uh, uh, you know Winnebago deal, right? They're just on out for vacationing, and bit by bit they start murdering people. And become kind of addicted to it and it's a very, it, it, it doesn't really make sense to me on, on many levels um, I know it's supposed to be funny but it really creeped me out and I think it's probably supposed to creep me out I can only say it's, like, it's maybe three quarters of the way to Man Bites Dog but it pushes a lot of the same buttons and um, deeply disturbing not on, uh, on Blu-ray, this is only on DVD uh, from IFC and it includes some interviews and a trailer and the interviews do not illuminate in any way why they made this movie some other movies uh, worth mentioning that are uh, on Blu-ray, just real quickly, uh, with some decent extras, actually. Uh, two Weeks Notice, Hugh Grant and Sandra Bullock. Not a not a bad romantic comedy in hindsight. Uh, it got really ripped apart at the time, I think, looking back on it. Uh, it's actually kind of charming. And now that Sandra Bullock is, uh, has reinvented her career, uh, you know, she's everyone's hot actress again. Remember, she was kind of off the grid for a moment, and now, after... You know, winning the Oscar a couple years ago, she's now she and she's she's it. And Gravity this year, you kidding me? So, revisiting uh, this film, it's actually kind of charming. Not bad at all. And this commentary with the, you know, branching gags by Sandra Bullock and Hugh Grant and uh, writer director Mark Lawrence. And then uh, City of angels, which uh it's still kind of the movie I always remembered that it was uh, that's got a you know a couple of behind the scenes documentaries and a couple of commentaries and it's It's okay of course an, a remake of an American remake of um Vim Vendor's uh, Wings of Desire with more of a plot Nicolas Cage and Meg Ryan it's got kind of a romantic angle to it that the vendors film really didn't play up very very broadly, but you know some some good music and of course the um the Morset song, which is. Great. Probably the best thing about it. Uh, Million Dollar Baby, the uh, four Academy Awards, including Best Picture. Uh, Clint Eastwood uh, directed... Um,
1: why, why did this win Best Picture?
0: It, he directed Hilary Swank to her second uh, Oscar for Best Actress. Hilary Swank is one of the handful of actresses who's won two Oscars for Best Actress.
1: Does, does that seem right to you? It's
0: just weird to me. I, I mean, it's a really good movie in hindsight, but I'm like, that won Best Picture. Like, Million Dollar Baby won Best Picture.
1: It's very strange, isn't it? Uh, It doesn't seem like it. it Seems like there's like a, like a gap in in the space time continuum. Somehow that one slipped in.
0: Anyway, it's the uh, it's the tenth. It's the only boxing movie, other than Rocky, by the way, to win Best Picture. You realize that?
1: What I
0: know. Bizarre. Anyway, tenth anniversary Blu-ray release. You mean Uh,
1: Kangaroo Jack about the boxing kangaroo didn't win? I'm, uh, I'm telling you, Best Picture.
0: Raging Bull did not. Uh, anyway, a lot of extras on here. Uh, really, really good stuff. Uh, you know, mostly featurette stuff, and then there's also a commentary by uh, Albert Ruddy, who's the uh, the producer. Uh, that's very, very good. But uh, you know, I mean, it's it, it it the film holds up. I just don't know that it's it's Best Picture material. And
1: uh, I'm going to, you know, what? I was not uh, paying attention because you were talking, and yes. I don't pay attention when you talk. But I'm going to find out what else was nominated that year.
0: Yeah, go ahead. Do that. You do that right now. And then lastly, just want to make mention on the animated front, Despicable Me 2 uh, has been, uh, that was released some weeks ago, and has been burning up the charts, and uh, we haven't gotten to it until now. But uh, I will say this, I I was not a fan of the first Despicable Me. I I missed this film in theaters and was able to catch up with it uh, digitally. And I actually like this one better than the first one. Um, Everybody kind of seems to have settled in to their characters, and they have fun with it and Steve Carell really has fun with, uh, you know, with the, his, his diabolical accent and the minions crack me up they are the funniest things I think I've ever seen on film apart from the Marx Brothers they just, they just slay me really? and they, they figured out that people love the minions in the first one they really ramp them up for this one and it's, uh, it is, is really good work for uh, the, uh, the small upstart Illumination Entertainment uh, Animation House really good work so this is a DVD Blu-ray uh, combo pack. You get a lot of little uh, mini movies on here, uh, which is basically you know shorts and uh, behind-the-scenes stuff, and um, it's good. So Steve Carell as Gru, I, I enjoyed it. Shocked that I enjoyed it.
1: Oh wait, no one cares. You ready? Yeah. This is what was nominated, along with Million Dollar Baby. Yes. Not a very good year actually. Um, the Aviator. Yeah. Which we talked about earlier regarding Cape Blanchett. Finding Neverland, which I loved. Uh, Ray, whatever, Oh, geez. and Sideways, which is a great film, but it doesn't really smell like an Oscar. See, it was always a process of elimination. It's either The Aviator or Million Dollar Baby. You can't give it a Sideways. That's not an Oscar true. best picture film. It's very true. Ray is fine. Come on. Yeah. Finding Neverland is a wonderful film. I like that film a lot. Yeah. I, I don't know that it, that, it, that was ever going to win Best Picture. So you're down to the, to the Aviator, which is an Oscar best picture type of film, and Million Dollar Baby, which is Clint Eastwood. I go. wonder if Million Dollar Baby was directed by, uh, you know, Dennis Dugan, if The no. Aviator would have won. No. It was Million Dollar Baby all the way?
0: Yeah. It was, it, it, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Aviator was never going to do it.
1: Was a lousy year. This wasn't going to do it. Wow. Johnny Depp, by the way, nominated that year. All right.
0: Uh, Mark, let's wrap out with a little bit of television what? here. Uh, I want to make mention of, uh, just on, from the, uh, the front of the good people over at uh, Acorn, who also run the Athena line? We got a couple of a uh, couple of quite a number of really good stuff here. The Athena titles are, of course, educational titles, and there are some excellent ones here that I finally had a chance to get around to. Uh, I'm a big history buff. Anybody who's listened to this long enough knows. Before I was a film major in college, I was a history major. I still love history, and the Dark Ages and Age of Light from Athena is just absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm a huge medievalist. I love everything about the Middle Ages and uh, the, you know, the Dark Ages and so forth. And um, the uh, the guy Valdemar uh who was a longtime art critic for the Sunday Times in the UK. It basically leads you on a tour of the Dark Ages, and it is wonderful. You get into all you know the 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 conflict between East and West, and the various arts, and this and that, and the other thing. It's really really good. Uh, Secrets of Ancient Egypt, likewise, very very impressive. Uh, Several different um, uh, episodes kind of take you through the the art and the culture, and you know all the mysteries of Ancient Egypt. Really really interesting. Really good. Uh, David Starkey, who does a lot of these things, David Starkey is just uh, hes this amazing Cambridge professor, um, he takes you through uh, music and monarchy, which is looking at British royal history through music. He's using music as like a historical guide, and uh, it's great. You learn all about basically what music belongs to what era, which is fantastic. And, of course, if you're a fan of AbFab, you love Joanna Lumley, and I love Joanna Lumley, and, of course, the new Avengers. You know, she she was on the last incarnation of the Avengers uh, spy series. And uh, she does Joanna Lumley's Greek Odyssey, which was shown here on uh, PBS. And, uh, you know, it's fantastic. She's just a wonderful tour guide of all of the beauty and the the, the history and the culture and the art of Greece. And uh, fantastic. Could not be better. So uh, Greece, of course, the cradle of civilization. You realize that, don't you? We all owe Greece a huge debt
1: well Greece is the word
0: yes absolutely and then lastly from uh, on the Acorn front a lot of Agatha Christie stuff uh, Poirot series 7 8 9 and 10 uh, starring David Suchet or Suchet, depending on how if you want to be uh, French or English about it uh, all of them on Blu-ray now from Acorn and uh, I still find him the quintessential Poirot all apologies owed to by the way they're doing Murder on the Orient Express again I
1: know
0: why I don't know because it's cool no stop that don't do that stop it it was done it's been done several times and they're all fine we don't need another one good grief Anyway, uh, so these are all terrific. All of them now in the original UK broadcast order, which is important because you see him kind of developing the character.
1: Yes, you don't.
0: And then the complete collection of the Agatha Christie Hour, which is uh, ten stories that are all kind of, you know, I mean, some better than others, obviously. They're all kind of second tier for me. Um, I, I read some of these in the uh, their original text form, and, uh, you know, it's all right. I mean, it was... Aired here on television, and it did all right. And then lastly, the Queen of Crime Collection. Agatha Christie's Queen of Crime Collection, which is three Agatha Christie mysteries. Uh, Sparkling Cyanide, Why Didn't They Ask Evans, and Seven Dials Mystery. These are better, much more nicely done, and uh, highly recommended.
1: Wow, great major, everyone. There you go. All right, a couple TV uh, Blu-rays before we uh, wrap it out. also. We have the following... This is the Kevin Bacon Fox show. Uh, He plays a uh, FBI agent who had uh, captured the serial killer back in the day, put him on death row, but he's escaped, Wade. Uh Uh-oh. And uh, now he's got these these minions who will do his bidding. Kevin Bacon has to uh, wade his way through the minions and um, get to the uh, mastermind that he put in jail nine years earlier. Uh, This show was a mild hit. It wasn't a super-duper hit. It was pretty atmospheric. It's Kevin Williamson. He's the guy who did Scream and uh, The Vampire Diaries. So, uh, yeah, it's okay. Uh, 15 episodes, season one, bunch of special features. Uh, there's a season two of following, of course. Um, starts up soon. S- season seven of uh, Burn Notice. This is the final season of the show. I don't know how this thing went seven, se- uh, seven seasons. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, a mystery to me. All, all these USA sh- shows are mm-hmm. just interchangeable and all terrible. In fact, I'm not even going to talk about it. It's stupid. All now, right. finally, way the only thing we really care about. Now, yes. wait, Now, do you want to a- end on that or do you want to end on...
0: This. We'll end on that. Well, I so let me just—I'll re- make a quick mention here. Uh, Treme is out now in the complete series on Blu-ray, which includes a bonus disc, and this has just a, a gigantic ton of uh, music video performances on it. And I, there's sort of no point in going into any elaborate uh, detail on this. If you've seen the series, you know what it is. It's old carnival-like. Phantasmagoria, uh, the whole uh, New Orleans you know, mania that is in, in, injected into this uh, constantly, it's now off the air, it's done its run, like all these HBO shows, and you can now get the whole thing in a great big, fat, gob-packed, gobsmacked uh, Blu-ray set, and uh, the only people who are going to want this are people who just really, really love the show. Great gift for anybody, but if you didn't love the show, you're not going to love it. And then uh, last on my list is the Starz original The White Queen miniseries, which uh, got ripped to pieces in the reviews. And when I finally got a look at it, you know what? I like it. Doggone it. I really like it. It takes place in the, uh, the mid-15th century, and it is uh, essentially a War of the Roses uh, you know, political intrigue over who's going to actually, you know, rule England. And uh, knowing a little bit about that, you know, between when the House of York and the House of Lancaster had their big battle, it was, you know, sort of the essential British Civil War. I think this is really interesting history wrapped up in a very, very kind of cool quasi-soap opera. Very nicely done. And uh, I think it's cool. The White Queen on uh, on Blu-ray and Ultraviolet. If you want to watch it on your iPad while you're driving, it's a great way to not have an accident.
1: Well, actually, it, it's a great way because the the show is not that diverting. That's right. All right, wait. We have one more thing to talk about. Yes. And if we don't talk about it now, the show will explode. Mm-hmm. Wait. There, there used to be a sitcom called Alice, oh. and Alice starred Linda Lavin.
0: Yep. And, who's who's uh, a neighbor of mine, by the way? You know.
1: By the way, I uh, when I came uh, when I came up the uh, drive here, yeah. I saw a deer. Well, uh, good. <laughs> I did see a deer. Uh, anyway, so um, there was a bunch of spinoffs of Alice. Actually, there's really only one, only one. Well, there's Mel's Diner. Yeah. That was a spinoff of Alice, right? Yeah, uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, Wasn't Mel's
1: Diner? I thought I was there. There was a Mel's. No.
0: I can't remember. Look that I'll, up. Wait. I'll, I'll look it up. Make it something useful. Look it yeah.
1: But the one that we love the most is Flow. This thing was in the early 80s. Actually, 1980 to 1981. It's all about Flow. The sassy, gum-chomping waitress who would tell all the customers, Kiss my grits. Mm-hmm. She wound up with her own spinoff, and uh, the show was. Um,
0: well, Alice was based on the Alice doesn't live here anymore. The nineteen seventy four Scorsese.
1: Film. Yeah, the Scorsese, yeah. which is like like that Alice and the Scorsese Alice, two different types of Alice's. I know. It's, it's almost like the, the, the Ron Howard Parenthood and the Parenthood now on NBC, two different types.
0: No, it was. was flow was the only spinoff.
1: Really. Yep. What there was? Look up Mel's Diner. Okay. I could have sworn there was a show called. Mel's I thought Diner. there
0: was. I thought there was a spinoff with the uh, with with her son, but. Maybe I was wrong about Steve? that. Yeah, uh, d- no. The no, uh, Jimmy, what's Jack, his name? No, the, John. The, the, the kid, the brother, the who no. was his sister John? was on uh, Stop it. I don't know. No. Uh, anyway, uh, Flo Flo, was Philip McKeon, Nancy McKeon's brother.
1: Oh really? Remember,
0: she was on uh, di- Different Strokes or no, Facts of Life. She was on Facts of Life. Nancy McKeon. Remember, she was she was Joe, the Terrible. tough girl, Terrible. the one the one we all loved growing up. Anyway, you didn't, th- you didn't watch Facts of Life, did you?
1: I know, I, I did actually. Oh. I did. Uh, anyway, the whole the whole idea of this conversation is that Flo sucks. Yeah. And it uh, was only 29 episodes, and they're all on this DVD. A couple good um, guest stars, though: Forrest Tucker from F Troop, uh, James Cromwell, who's done nice. a lot of work, uh, Robert Englund, who played uh, uh, Chucky, to one of those hard mm-hmm. guys. And uh, <laughs> he 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 played Chucky?
0: No. Okay.
1: And uh, Vic Tayback, who played Mel in a show that I thought was called Mel Diner, but I guess there's no show no. called Mel Diner.
0: No, no. But Vic Tayback also, let's not forget. Piece of the action. Fizbin. Yeah. That's
1: right. Anyway, flow, the complete series is now on DVD. Please avoid it.
0: Absolutely. All right, that wraps it out. We will uh, we will be back next week with more fun and frolic. Is that a good out is that an outro? Fun Fun and frolic?
1: Fun and frolic await.